This is the sister, the doctor of style, and you're listening to VOC Nation. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you know later there too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Kaku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with history. The voice of choice and killer can resonate. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airlines cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have cried? Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Dylan, you guys are busting me up. Listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs, yeah, you get, get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. VOC Nation Radio Network, Wrestling With History, back again one more week, and we're covering 1984 this week. Got some great feedback from the dawn of Hulkamania. That's what last week was. Hulkamania is here, the famous line from Gorilla Monsoon. Voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, Killer Ken Resnick. You're listening on VOC Nation Radio Network, and you can get VOC Nation wherever your favorite podcasts are housed, whether that's Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or right there at VOCNation.com. And Killer Ken, what's happening in your world this week? Um, shoot, it's not my world, it's your world. I'm just trying to live in it. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if that's much of a world. You know, I got I got two little ones. We're surviving here in the in this pandemic world. My my two year old is in full toddler mode. I'm not sure you want to be in my world, Ken. Hey, look, look at it this way: if you're surviving, that puts you, you know, is certainly in, in the upper half. <laughs> you're in the upper half percentile. Well, so far, you know, knock on wood or whatever the material on this desk is. So far, I've had, uh, I, I have not had COVID nineteen. I haven't dealt with the virus, and I do know some people in my extended network that have had it and, and recovered, thankfully. Even uh, somebody that was actually on a ventilator for seven days and survived and lived to tell about it. He was con he was treated with the uh, the I guess at that time it was experimental convalescent plasma, and and survived. So. Uh, it's uh, it's a scary world, but the the more technology, the more resources, and the more knowledge we get behind this virus, the safer that we all will be 
And Ken, believe it or not, people are starting to let fans back in stadiums and arenas. So the, the light is appearing at the end of the tunnel. Well, uh, that, that, that's absolutely true. But when you look at the, the way things are trending, you, you wonder if it's, a, if it's an artificial light or not. Uh, which which is a little frightening, but uh, the only thing I'd say is, Bruce, uh, and, and it, it's really getting hard, in all seriousness, to find someone that you know doesn't know someone that's uh, been affected. Uh, all I can say is I, I, I'm certainly glad uh, you haven't gotten it, which obviously means, you know, you haven't been hanging around the White House or anything. <laughs> I haven't been hanging around the White House, haven't been hanging around. Uh, didn't didn't our friends at T-Mart Promotions go through a, a bout before, uh, before you went, you ended up being able to do that show for St. Jude's, but that hit close to uh, our proverbial home here at VOC Nation, our, our friend oh. Marty. And Marty and his wife, Lisa, and um, I have family that, that has had it, uh, that are still dealing with it. Other friends, a uh, cousin of mine lost his mother-in-law, her mother-in-law to it. Uh, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's everywhere, and um, it, it, it's almost a situation where you go, we're eight months into this, and we seemingly know less and less about it yeah. uh, or, you know, keep, keep learning. So uh, it, it, it's not a fun time. And like I say, uh, you know, thankfully, you know, uh, you are, are surviving because uh, it, 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 it's not a great place. It's, it, it's, it's not a great world to be walking around in right now. That's for sure. Well, that is, that is definitely true, but we're surviving here. <laughs> And hopefully we'll continue to survive here and bring you this show and all the other great programming at VOC Nation. So uh, lots of great stuff on our roster. Obviously this show, which hopefully you're subscribed to, but you also have In the Room with Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks on Tuesdays. Uh, Shelly Live with former WWE and TNA uh, knockout Shelly Martinez on Tuesdays as well. You have uh, uh, Talking Sass with independent star Sassy Steffi. That drops on Thursdays. WCW Retro with uh, former WCW star The Maestro on Thursdays. So lots of great programming on VOC Nation Wrestling with Problems with King David Lane. He's a Chicago comedian. I'm leaving out people, but I'm just uh, kind of going with the, on the, what's on the top of my head. Make sure you go to VOC Nation. Subscribe and check out all of the great shows that are there but ken last week we covered the beginning of 84 in this new format podcast only by the way we don't take calls anymore you can tweet your feedback at bruce voc on twitter if you tweet the network at voc nation uh, i don't normally monitor that we have people that do and sometimes it makes it over to me but if you want to tweet this show just tweet me personally at, at bruce voc we got some feedback last week about uh the year 1984 and the birth of hulk Mania. And uh, Ken, again, just reminding everybody, in this format, we're kind of going back. We started in 83, so check out uh, the archives, uh, and you can see the first, the first episode of where we took you on this journey. And we're going to take you as far as we can go and make it interesting. I can't promise that'll be forever, but we'll go as far as it's interesting and as far as you continue to listen. And you've listened so far in the tens of thousands, so we thank all of you for doing that. And while you're listening, just go right there on your device. Hopefully you're not driving. Go to vocnation.com. Go on the shop and buy your very own Killer Ken Resnick t-shirt. So it's a little hard to find on pro wrestling tees. So you're better off going to VOC Nation, like voice of choice. Yep. Uh, I go to vocnation.com and find that t-shirt. It's on the left-hand side. Click the link. You get into the shop. You get the Killer Ken shirt. You can get Shelly's shirt. You can get uh, uh, Brady's big, ugly picture on a shirt. You get the VOC Nation shirt. Lots of good shirts. And starting, if you're listening uh, on Wednesday, you, uh, you know that there's a sale on Pro Wrestling Tees that's happening this week, 20% off. Uh, 
and uh, so get your shirt. That's, that's the, all I have to say about that. Ken, just well, we, we should add one more thing. Yeah. If they do all that, when you know you you pick out your shirts uh, as you are checking out, it'll say promo code. So in all caps and uppercase, just type the word fall as in fall season f-a-double-l and that will get you your 20 percent off but you have to enter that promo code fall in all caps shame on me for missing that but thank you for picking me up there killer ken i i, I try it's not easy <laughs> it is not easy it's like it's like you know uh it's like sean michaels carrying the rockers and then finally drilling marty Janetti through a window it's like rick martell you know, bashing Tito Santana, tired of carrying strike force. And soon enough, you're, you're going to be throwing me through a plate glass window. Uh, well, hopefully it'll be the phony glass. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Last week, we well, I might enjoy it, but I, I don't want to hurt you. <laughs> well, thank God for that. Last week, we talked about the birth of Hulkamania, and there's an iconic line by Gorilla Monsoon where he says, Hulkamania is here after that famous match in Madison Square Garden with the Iron Sheik. And we got a question here from Bob in St. Louis. He wants to know about your interaction with Gorilla Monsoon. Says, did Ken have a close relationship with Gorilla Monsoon? What was Gorilla Monsoon like behind the scenes? Uh, yeah, I, I had a great relationship with Gorilla Monsoon, but I, I don't want to mischaracterize it. We, you know, we weren't close. We didn't, you know, hang out, you know, or anything away from the business, but, but he was fabulous to, to work with. I, I'd gotten to, you know, obviously meet him and know him a little bit. Uh, and when they <clears throat> decided, you know, <clears throat> I'm sure Vince obviously had a hand in it, uh, that besides the interviews, I was going to start doing some color uh, on the matches, especially those for uh, primetime uh, wrestling challenge at the arenas with Gorilla Monsoon. <clears throat> uh, he, Gorilla, could not have been more welcoming, uh, could not have possibly been easy, any easier or any greater to to work with uh he was one of those people that w was so good at what he did but he was just just an amazing human being he was just fabulous uh you know he you know i couldn't begin to to hold a a candle to Gorilla Monsoon, but he treated everyone as a as an absolute equal. Um, I, I remember, I think the first matches we called together uh, were either in uh, I think it was a Boston Garden, or, or it may have been uh, down down in Houston. But after the first match we called at ringside, you know, after the match we took a little break. And I remember thinking to myself, it was just, it was effortlessly to, to, to work with him. It just flowed and he made it so easy. Uh, and he made sure, and not only with me, but anybody he, he worked with, Bruce, that, that he would make certain during his call of the match he would pause to allow, you know, me or whoever he was working with to, to get time and to interject uh, and to be, you know, a part of the call. He was just a, a, a great human being and just so tremendous to work with. Did you get a chance, Ken, to work at all with Gorilla and Bobby together? Was that, was that ever in the equation? Uh, <clears throat> not, you know, really uh because you know i would <clears throat> many times tape an interview <clears throat> that was going to air on prime time uh but you know they weren't there you know the interview was pre-taped uh <clears throat> and as i said you know many times uh would call matches with gorilla for prime time or obviously did interviews many times bobby was an agent uh was helping to produce the interviews 
but never, you know, worked with the two of them together at the same time because they're, you know, what I was doing and what they were doing, you know, were never done at the same time, you know, sometimes at the same arena, but in a different area. John B. 411 wants to know about Vern Gagne. So you said last week on the show, Ken, that if it were just Vern one-on-one when no one else was around, Vern could be a fun guy or an okay guy. But if there was someone else around, uh, he was not so nice. So John wants to know, have you ever had a run-in with Vern Gagne? Um, n- not <clears throat> per se. Um, uh, one time at a, a show at the Civic Center where Vern was <clears throat> supposedly out of it and we were checking on it, uh, he came in and, and knew like he didn't know where he was, which I never believed, you know, kind of gave me a couple, uh, good slaps to the, to the head. Was this, uh, uh, was, this was he inebriated? Is that what you're trying to no, say? No, this, this was actually, you know, right after a match. Supposedly. Oh, oh, I see. I see. Uh, actually he was, uh, you know, on the floor at the civic center during the match, we were <laughs> checking on him. So, you know, I, kind of let him know I wasn't really pleased with that. Uh, He popped popped you in the, in the noggin. Yeah. uh, A couple times I I had really being honest, all I could do to not pop him back. Uh, (laughs) But I I mean, he, you know, he was the the primary, you know, owner of, of the, the territory. Uh, You know, he was calling the shots. Uh, and, and, you know, I was an employee, but, you know, were there, you know, a few times, uh, I had, uh, shall we say differences, uh, with the way he was treating me and others. But, you know, I mean, I think everyone in, in any sort of business setting and, you know, it, it may have been wrestling, but it was still a business. Uh, there's a chain of command and you kind of respect that. So, per se, never really had a run-in with him. Very good. But outside of the the business and uh, one trip, he kind of inserted himself into, I mean, it wasn't like I, you know, hung out with him, uh, you know, on my free time or his. Smooth Girl 94 wants to know, and this is, I guess, also related to Vern Gagne. Did the advertising of Hulk Hogan, when Hulk Hogan wasn't there anymore, have anything to do with you leaving the AWA? Smooth Girl 94. Uh, you know, I, 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 I didn't think it was right, but even today on the bottom of anything, it says all cards subject to change. Uh, so I, I didn't think it was right, but no, that really didn't factor into, to, to my leaving. So let's get into it, Ken, 1984. So we've already established Bob Backlund is no longer the champion that ended in late 83. The iron Sheik is that short transitional champion. And then Hulk Hogan momentous win and gets the championship January 23rd, a Monday night in Madison square garden. And he takes the championship home. Uh, Ken, was that, was that kind of normal for, I guess Mondays were the night of the garden back then. Right. And was that normal for such a big title to change to happen on a a weekday like that? I guess there was no Uh, pay-per-views in 84, right? Yeah, well, you know, I, I was still in the AWA, so uh, the short answer is, you know, I, I really don't know, but in those days, with no pay-per-views existing, the rule of thumb was that's when championship changed hands at big house shows. Um, you know, they, they certainly weren't going to, uh, changed the, the title at a house show in, in Salisbury, Maryland. And, you know, back then and even today, uh, there are a, amazing legendary arenas, you know, through, throughout the world. But Madison Square Garden is Madison Square Garden. So it would only be logical uh, if you're going to change it at a house show, you were going to, you would change it at 
Madison Square Garden, you know, with Titan Sports being headquartered, you know, then in, in Greenwich, Connecticut, which was, you know, basically, you know, even then more of a suburb of <clears throat> New York City, Madison Square Garden was pretty much the 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 home venue of the WWF, much like, you know, the AWA had a great territory, but the St. Paul Civic Center was kind of, you know, our home venue. <clears throat> so it, you know, would be, you know, logical. Uh, <clears throat> and I think in those days, you know, pre-internet, um, the majority of the magazines were, you know, in New York or, or along the I-95 corridor, uh, and they pretty much all covered anything at Madison Square Garden. So, you know, you're going to have the, the best uh, fan base and the best media coverage. So that would be the, the logical spot to do it. That was the place to do it. Monday night, January 23rd, 1984, Madison Square Garden. So, Ken, while that was happening back in the AWA, you really started to see an exodus. So Hulk Hogan left, and then shortly after Hogan, Mean Gene Okerlund left, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Adrian Adonis, Ken Patera, Jim Brunzel, David Schultz, Wendy Richter, Jesse the Body Ventura all jumped from the AWA to the WWF. And I, in my research, Ken, I found out that there was, Vern had a six-week notice period when you, a talent was going to leave the AWA for the WWF. And if you didn't serve out that notice period, you, uh, you didn't get some of the money that, that, that you were owed for some of those dates. And what I, what I saw was Vince McMahon was offering more money. So he's basically paying them to not work out their notices and, uh, and abandon previously scheduled appearance dates. Uh, McMahon disputes that, of course, but this is uh, reported by some of the talent and only Bobby Heenan had worked out his notice in good faith of the Ganya family. Were you familiar with that? Had you heard that behind the scenes when you were uh, still working in the AWA? Oh, I mean, it, it was common knowledge. And, you know, Vince wasn't outwardly doing that, but he was, you know, like saying, Hey, uh, you know, I'll pay you, you know, if you can start, uh, a week from Tuesday, uh, we've got all these ideas and I'll pay you X or, you know, if you're going to start six weeks from Tuesday, uh, you know, I'm going to have to drop your pay precipitously, uh, sometimes, you know, greater than the math would have dictated, uh, and, and I think it was a situation where he wasn't outwardly doing that, but he was kind of encouraging it. That's very interesting. Uh, and, you know, and by then, uh, he had approached Vern, uh, about kind of joining forces and I think was a little bit rudely rebuffed. So there was already some bad blood uh between you know Vince and, and Vern and vice versa so it's you know completely uh understandable <laughs> i mean uh i think by that point in in uh Vince's mind uh you know he was trying to uh, do a hostile takeover yeah or i mean <clears throat> you know we see it today in all businesses that the best way for a business to be able to expand is if your competitor, you know, doesn't exist or their market share is greatly reduced. Sure. Sure. I, I mean, it's not, I guess if you look back on it, 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 it doesn't fit the model that professional wrestling had at that period, up to that period of time, but it's not, I mean, Vince, Vince certainly wasn't, I mean, he was, he was a ruthless business person and it's not anything that, that other businesses wouldn't have done. It just, I mean, professional wrestling operates in a bubble, right? So uh, in the wrestling bubble, it wasn't, it wasn't considered uh, quote unquote, the right thing to do. Well, um, his, you know, Vince's father, Vince senior had kind of, you know, honored the, the 
handshake agreement between promoters, you know, don't tread on me. Uh, and as you said, you know, and I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, you know, is, uh, when it comes to business, you know, Vince is ruthless. And you know, the fact that there were this agreement, quote unquote, uh, there was no contractual agreement obligating him to do that. And Vince just said, Hey, there's not, you know, you want to stop me, you know? Uh, try and stop me. <clears throat> you know, and uh, Bruce, I, I was kind of thinking this week <clears throat> that as much <clears throat> as wrestling has changed, <clears throat> you know, from the 80s and 90s to becoming <clears throat> the, the sports entertainment it, it is today, uh, <clears throat> on the other hand, the more things change, sometimes they say the more things stay the same. And, you know, we had talked about uh, last week, and again, not having any, any knowledge, but I've speculated the fact that uh, Vern was not willing to put the, the belt uh, on Hogan. <clears throat> they did for about 30 seconds till they, you know, came out and did the, the now it's known as the dusty finish dusty where, finish, right? Oh no, no. You know, 10, 12 minutes ago when we didn't say a thing about it, you kind of threw him over the top rope. So you're disqualified. You can't, you know, we're taking the title back, uh, may have, you know, been at least somewhat influenced, uh, on Hulk's, you know, ultimate decision to, to leave and go to the WWF. Uh, and sometimes we forget, okay, Yes, it's predetermined, but much like, you know, actors today, wrestlers are every bit the performer. And if you are a, a great performer, you are going to be far more interested in pursuing a leading role, you know, than a, uh, you know, what are they, uh, what do they call it in the, in the uh, supporting role? Um, and I read this week that now there's a lot of speculation that when Vince at the last minute changed the finish of the last week's pay-per-view, uh, did not give Randy Orton the belt, but allowed Drew McIntyre to keep it that Randy, who has an op-out after one year, which is, I think, coming up next month, uh, a lot of speculation that he was very unhappy about not getting the belt and now may be thinking about opting out and uh, a lot of speculation he may go to AEW. So it might be predetermined. You know, it might all be worked out, the high spots, the false finishes. But if you view yourself as a great performer, you want the lead role. You don't want to be a supporting actor. Uh, whether or not that factored into Hulk's decision, but it sounds like the same thought process may be in Randy Orton's mind that, you know, if, if I'm not going to get the belt here, I might as well, you know, I want to go somewhere else where I'm going to perceive that I'm going to be more respected than I am here. Yeah, I want to. I want to so. come back to that Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre thing in in just a second. Uh, so don't let me get get much far or too far beyond that. But you know, we talked about all these names that left and jumped to the WWF and Vince uh, Vince doing that to Vern. But he also was raiding the NWA at the same time. So Mid Atlantic, Georgia, and Florida were losing their top stars: Roddy Piper, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Jack Briscoe, Jerry Briscoe, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Bob Orton, Barry Windham, Mike Rotunda. Bob Orton, of course, is the father of Randy Orton. And Ken. I got to ask you this because a lot of these guys uh, that, that kind of came and went or went and came, uh, they were WWF guys in the seventies and it's not like they were new to the New York territory. They had just gone on and they're making their rounds around the country and uh, they were coming back to New York, but it's a different thing in this, in this uh, time period, right? Cause it's not like they're just going to New York for a run. Now, 
Vince is going national and he's talking to these guys about coming, uh, I, I guess, in a permanent sense, right? Uh, you know, certainly I, I imagine he was offering them all, you know, long-term or certainly multi-year uh, deals because obviously they were going to be burning some bridges. But you're exactly right. And again, remember, these are all guys that are looking out for themselves, looking out for their families. And there was no other promotion that could offer national exposure. And, you know, we, we've talked about it before. Vince had the foresight to see what was possible with, you know, national promotions, you know, I'm sure he was already eyeing, uh, you know, in talks for, you know, national cable deals that the, the, not only the contract money he was offering, but he could entice them with some pretty big numbers in terms of, you know, t-shirt and hats and DVDs and all these other secondary marketing revenue streams that really no other promotion, uh, you know, I I mean, it wasn't until uh, uh, I came in 83. I I think it was really almost 85 uh, before they put a couple T-shirts out. I mean, all they sold was the, the program. It was Vince that could see these massive revenue streams and the potential. Now, hold on, Ken. Hold on. Hold on for a second. I got to stop you there. If you had a DVD in 1984, were you you talking to Marty McFly? Is that? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. We we had just come back. Uh, Yeah. But I I mean, VHSs were prominent. Coliseum Video. That's our our theme music, Tanner, the the program. Coliseum Video. Exactly. But nobody else saw that for the possibility, you know, it could be. Sure. Um, you know, right before Hulk left, uh, Vern had, you know, was just starting to sell some Hulk t-shirts and Hulk wanted a cut of it. And, you know, Vern's stance was, hey, without me, you wouldn't be able to sell anything. So, no, this is, you know, part of my promotion. So, you know, I'm, I, I keep this money, uh, you know, but Vince, um, you know, and, and back then, I mean, it, you know, it was amazing. People may not be happy with, with what it's become now, but Vince had the, the foresight and, you know, the, the best way to sum it up, Bruce, you know, in, you know, 1984, Vince McMahon was just smarter than everybody else. Yeah, and if you think, if you look at all those names, and you're kind of seeing, you you know, you mentioned AEW. So I just want to draw the parallel and, and see if there is a parallel. So And that's what we try to do a little bit on this show. So I mentioned all these names. AWA lost Gene Okerlund, Bobby Heenan, Adrian Adonis, Ken Patera, Jim Brunzel, David Schultz, Wendy Richter, Jesse Ventura, among others. Right, eventually Killer Ken, too. Uh, but this is 84. And then, uh, I, I don't know if I said Bobby Heenan, but Bobby Heenan's in there. Yep. NWA loses Piper, Valentine, the Briscoe Brothers, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Bob Orton, Barry Windham, Mike Rotundo. They all come to New York. Now, you mentioned, and this is why I, I said I didn't want to get too far beyond this to talk about Randy Orton. So, AEW is the new startup, right? They're the... Uh, they're the upstarts. They're the Vince McMahon circa 1984. They're not trying to, to take anything national, right? They're already, it's already a national product, but they have a different flavor of product. And you get all these guys that were not so happy and they're not so happy with the business model today in WWE. And they're starting to make jumps over to AEW. Rusev, uh, you saw the Zach Ryder, Matt Hardy. There's, there's a whole bunch of guys. Randy Orton has been rumored. Um, you know, there's, I, I've even heard Brock Lesnar mentioned in rumors. But I, so far, Ken, and, and I guess my question to you is, business didn't really pick up 
and and really start to get going for the WWF until 85 with the success of WrestleMania going into 86. And then obviously the next three years, 87, 88, 89, even into 90, it was uh, amazing. But, you know, all these names jump to AEW and there's some buzz. I think they finally hit a million viewers uh, again for the first time in a while last week or the week before. But it's not so much taking off like I think fans would like it to. My question for you is, um, do you see any parallels between 84 and the WWF where it's kind of you're just getting people to jump, it's just kind of gaining some momentum, and AEW in 2020? Um, <clears throat> in one <clears throat> respect, <clears throat> no, because... Like you said, until Vince, I mean, Ronnie Piper was a a success in the NWA. Ricky the Dragon was a great success, no question. But, you know, just look at Ronnie Piper. Until he made the jump to WWF and, you know, the, the Piper's pit became so big. I mean, he went from being a big fish in a kind of small pond to with the push and Piper's pit and everything to becoming a really big fish in a really, really big pond. Uh, Same with, you know, Ricky, the dragon, Ricky was a a, a big fish in a smaller pond. And then he became a big fish in a really, really big pond. Hmm. And the, the one problem that AEW has that, there, everyone pretty much now has, you know, national exposure. <clears throat> so it's not like they can kind of go pick out some of these unknowns and make them big stars. Right. And I think <clears throat> one of the problems <clears throat> that AEW has <clears throat> in trying to <clears throat> compete that if you would ask me, the two, and certainly the the roads are are you know well known solid names in the industry, but I, I would go so far as to say the two biggest names in AEW are you know Chris Jericho. And I would really say Jim Ross. I was going to say, so I mentioned Okerlund, right, jumping. But Jim Ross yeah. was my parallel. Yeah, he's, he's a guy. If you're a wrestling fan and you just stumble on TNT and you haven't watched the product for 10 years, I remember watching with my dad down. Uh, I was visiting my parents. They, um, I, I won't uh, give, give away my, uh, my life, uh, but my, my dad, my parents live uh, a thousand miles away from me. So we went down to visit. And... <laughs> he's flipping through the channels he's like oh did you ever see this wrestling again on tnt they're they're doing wrestling again and uh, jim ross is there and yeah. you know he hasn't watched wrestling probably in oh just probably 20 years but yeah i think that's kind of the same as gene okerland making the jump i guess in a different way it draws fans back in that that'll at least take a different look a second look because jim ross is there well it, it, it's a little bit of a parallel <clears throat> and a little different in that people in the, you know, East coast in Philly in in, you know, New York, uh, Boston, Toronto, the really big WWF markets, they didn't know Gene Okerlund until he got there. And immediately he, you know, was able to establish himself as a great talent because he was a great talent. But Jim Ross coming, he he brought his bona fide with him. You know, hey, it's Jim Ross, it's good old Jr. Uh, that so th- there was a little bit of difference in the Gene. You know, quickly established himself as as this great talent be- because he is. But when he first came, I, I think if you somebody would have said, oh, uh, WWF just hired Gene Okerlund, you probably would have said who. You know, where Jim Ross, and I mean, he, because Gene wasn't on TV in the East Coast, but Jim Ross had this, you know, national credibility that he brought with him. 
And I mean, you know, I'm kind of playing it out a little bit that when Hulk made the jump, he knew he was going to get the push as the the top dog in the territory. But there were a lot of other great, great talents already in place in the WWF. And I, I would say if, and again, we're speculating, if Randy Orton would make the jump, I would say you could make a pretty strong argument that from day one, Randy would be the top name in the AEW. Yeah, well, at least he would be number 1A next to Jericho. And, and you could have an Orton-Jericho feud that, that really could draw some money. And, um, you know, I, I, I look at the possibilities and just giving some of these this talent. And Randy's not, you know, I think he's, he's my age. I think he's 40, um, you know, give or take a year. I, I look at a guy like Randy Orton that probably has at least five good years, maybe a little bit more left in him. And if you take off the shackles and, and let him be himself in AEW, maybe he becomes a bigger star than he is today. Nash and Hall jumped to WCW as well as Hogan in their 40s. So you're, you're not talking about um, ancient. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, he's still got some gas left in the tank. They, they could maybe do something. Oh, I, you know, I, I don't think there's, there's any question uh, and in some ways, it would be a bit of a throwback to you know the the '80s and '90s, in that both Chris Jericho and Randy Orton are extraordinarily good on the mic. You know, when they're I mean, they don't really do interviews per se as we did you know in the '80s and '90s. Uh, a lot of it is just kind of a, you know, self, you know, promos, but both of them are, you know, I, I think Randy Orton, you could make a case right now, does the, the best, uh, you know, promos behind the mic uh, in WWF. I mean, he's, he's outstanding. And so is, you know, Chris Jericho. Um, and, you know, you follow AEW, I think, you know, a lot more than, than I do. Um, but I I would, you know, ask you in terms of, you know, strength in the ring, working ability and behind the mic, um, other than Chris Jericho, I, you know, I don't know that there's a clear cut, you know, number two in AEW. So I'm thinking, as you said, Certainly a Jericho-Orton feud would, you know, pay-per-view would be a big draw, but there's so much you could build, you know, off that. So I, I can understand where if, you know, Randy is is feeling a little slighted for whatever reason, um, you know, he would be looking and say, you know, I, I got a feeling the grass might actually be greener on the other side of that fence. Yeah, I got to say this because um, we don't have any inside information that Randy Orton is, is jumping, or at least uh, I, I don't think we do. Uh, you know, wink, wink, maybe Ken does. Uh, but I'll leave that there. Ken, the, the, that, I think that's the thing with AEW that they, they need, at least in my opinion. You have, um, you have guys that have jumped like Moxley and Rusev and, and some of the others, Matt Hardy, but they weren't top-tier main event talent. I think if they get and, and Cody and Dustin, they're all they're all WWE uh, quote unquote mid card or upper mid card talent. Yeah, I, I would certainly say you know uh, John Moxley is, is is upper card. Upper card, uh, yep. But I'm saying but, somebody else besides Moxley. I think they need a few more top-tier main event talents to jump to really make uh, a, 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 no pun intended, an impact. Oh, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I couldn't agree more. <clears throat> you know, Moxley is, is also very good. Um, but in terms of physical size, you know, Jericho and Moxley are a little smaller. I mean, you know, Randy really, you know, great ring talent, great behind the mic, you know, has really, you know, large frame, good size, you know, 
athlete. Um, but you're right. They, 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 in the old days, we used to kind of talk about the great eight where you could really build things around and storylines and feuds and angles. Uh, you know, they've got Jericho, they, they've got Moxley. Uh, but the one other thing that, that, uh, Randy would bring like Chris Jericho, he would still be Randy Orton. You know, because he's using his name. Sure. So, you know, he doesn't have to suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm sure there were some wrestling fans that, oh, great, you know, John Moxley, who's that? Oh, my God, wait a minute, wasn't he the, uh, what's his name over in WWF? Well, Randy would be Randy Orton from day one again. Sure. Yeah, and, and that's, I think that is, that is something that, they probably need, they probably need, they need the casual fan to jump over and watch TNT. And, and listen, as much as I think all of those wrestlers are talented and, and I'm not trying to get sideways with anybody, but I think guys like the Young Bucks and, and um, the talent that they have that, that really were, were great on the indies, they're pulling in the hardcore wrestling fans. And, and we've seen there's probably like 700 to 800,000 hardcore wrestling fans that are going to watch TV and they're going to watch NXT or AEW. And I think those extra 200,000 fans that are now maybe tuning on the TV they're they're the casual fans that are starting to maybe get back into it and i think you need a name talent that doesn't have to change his or her name to to get on that tv program and and that's when you saw the the you saw it click for wcw again no pen intended um when hall and nash came came over um it's not like they were um they were using the same names but they were using the same kind of gimmicks and uh, there was a few of them and that's when it really started to, to come together in 96 for WCW so who knows where this is going Ken I guess that's that's uh, ultimately we, we don't know what's going to happen and you know, know who's available and the pandemic could have thrown a wrench in budgets who knows and, and again you know I, I have zero inside other than you know, a couple of people sent me some, you know, articles that some websites have <clears throat> kind of been reporting that uh, Vince changed the finish at the last minute to allow Drew to keep the title. Randy was not very happy about it. <clears throat> Whether there's anything to it or it's all speculation, you know, the next few weeks will we'll probably tell. But <clears throat> as we have talked about, uh, with WWF and again, pre pandemic, they kind of made, I, I think Vince and the internal decision to go to the WWE brand, as opposed to trying to create a couple, you know, mega superstars. Uh, we've talked about there, there is, you know, when there's no fans and it's no longer an event, it, it's a little tough when there is no, talent that is kind of must-see TV. Yeah. Uh, Chris Jericho is, is a phenomenal talent, but other than, you know, the real, you know, hardcore wrestling fans, I, I don't know that you could say Chris is must-see TV. Um, I think if someone like Randy Orton uh, would again in pure speculation if he would make that jump. I think Randy Orton going to AEW would kind of become the closest thing they would have to must see TV. Well, could you, or I mean, you could dig up, you know, somebody like Dwayne Johnson. I, that's the the cons have the money if they really wanted to make a splash to if they wanted to pay The Rock for an appearance or pay. Uh, you know, Hulk Hogan for an appearance. I don't, I, they've, they've stated they, they'd never do that. But, you know, somebody like that, I think that would also make a splash. But I think whatever you do, if you're AEW, it has to be somebody that's going to be on TV consistently because I think fans today and, and viewers today are smart enough to know if it's just a one-time deal and, and they're not going to see that person week after week. 
Well, I agree completely, but I, I take it one step further. It, it's got to be, Bruce, not only someone that, that's going to be on TV, but someone that's going to be wrestling on TV. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, if, if Hulk Hogan would, you know, do an appearance on, on AEW, I mean, it would be great for AEW, no question. It would be well-watched. But I don't think Hulk, you know, is going to be in any sort of reoccurring wrestling position. Yeah. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, I, don't, I don't care, you know, how well-scripted it is. <clears throat> if you're wrestling, there is risk for serious injury. I mean, there there just is. People may not want to think about it, but there is. And uh, the cons may have a lot of money, but I can't imagine any way, shape, or form that Rock uh, is going to jeopardize his movie career. Uh, so, you know, they, they need someone that's going to be involved in a major storyline from a wrestling standpoint. You don't think the Hulkster at 67 is going to tear up the main event scene at AEW? No, not with that back. (laughs) And and I mean, again, uh, Hulk Hulk was one that gave me the name Killer Ken. I I think the world of Hulk Hogan. But, you know, Hulk has had, I don't know how many, you know, back surgeries. And, you know, it's like anything. I mean, with, with a bad back, he's just, you know, not going to be uh, able to do it with any sort of regularity for a, uh, a mega payday. Would, would You know, I, I think Hulk would probably like to come back and, and wrestle once more, but the emphasis would be on once. <laughs> I think with a good back at 67, that might be a little bit tough. But listen, we're getting we're getting way far away from 1984, which was the height of Hulkamania. That's when, or at least the birth of Hulkamania. So you got all this talent. Well, jumps- it's all Marty McFly's fault with the DVD. Yeah, you're jumping into a time machine. You have DVDs happening in '84. What is going on, Ken? I meant VHSs, but. Oh. Of course. And by the way, uh, no, I won't even, I, I, I'll get lost. We'll, we'll end up blowing the rest go ahead, of the show. Go, go, go ahead. We're, we're already off the track. So go yeah, ahead. I was just going to say, I was, <laughs> I was going through some of my old stuff and I found some old Coliseum video VHSs. And I wanted to ask you before I get into, and, and by the way, if we don't cover pro wrestling USA today, we'll cover it next week in longer form. Cause that's kind of, that's when, Vern got together with, uh, at least for a little while, the NWA and uh, mainly uh, Crockett, the Crockett's to, to try to compete against McMahon. And that happened in 84. But before we get there, Coliseum video. So I, I was digging out some of my old VHSs and I saw some Coliseum videotapes. And I know that they, uh, I think it was 85 or 86 when they started to produce these. But were you part of any Coliseum video productions? Do you remember being there for any Coliseum video stuff? Well, back then, there weren't specific, you know, Coliseum video productions. Things that we did were just, you know, edited into to make a VHS. Right. I, I am on a number, you know, interviews I did are on a number of Coliseum videos, but they were just, you know, interviews we did for the shows that were put into the video. They were not done specifically with the Coliseum video in mind, you know, that early on. The best of the WWF, you remember that? Um, Everything we did, we tried to make the best of the WWF. Well, that was the series. That was the Coliseum video series. It started in 85. So maybe we'll get, we'll get into that more when we cover 1985. But uh, real quick, as we get towards the end of this show, and we, we are in 1984, so Pro Wrestling USA. So there's a talent raid. McMahon steals all of this talent. And... Again, you know, if you look at the beginning of 84, the AWA cards, even after Hogan had left, I'm looking at January 27th, 84, which was uh, just the, the same week that Hogan wins the championship. 
You got Bockwinkle, uh, Brad Riggins in the main event, Mr. Saito and Jesse Ventura versus Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel, the Crusher and Ken Patera, Jerry Blackwell, and Steve Regal uh, was, uh, was on the card. So big names still wrestling in 1984 for the AWA. So they're not quite dead yet, but the talent's starting to leave. And uh, as, as the year goes on, a lot of these names start to jump. So Byrne gets together with the Crockett's and they start this pro wrestling USA in 1984. And it ends up helping them have a good year. So Ken, talk about in 1984, pro wrestling USA, were you there for the genesis of this? Do you remember this starting to come together? I think we talked about this briefly on another episode, but tell me more about that. Yeah. Uh, oh. oh, excuse me. Coronavirus. Uh, I, uh, no, just uh, actually, uh, I had the flu vaccine, uh, you know, the, the one for all four, and I just had a, a scratchy throat for a couple of days following it. Uh, I was there the very first... Um, Pro Wrestling USA shoot we did was at the Hammond Civic Center in Hammond, Indiana. Uh, and, you know, remember, you know, we've talked about Vince <clears throat> stealing a lot of big names from the AWA and the NBA <clears throat> and WA. One of, you know, don't forget <clears throat> that Fern you know, and he was already a huge name, was able to lure <clears throat> Sergeant Slaughter to the AWA. And Sarge was one of the, the, the big names that uh, I think enabled Vern and, and Crockett to kind of launch the Pro Wrestling USA. And Pro Wrestling USA was was their attempt to get together and create a national promotion within that territory system, right? So they, they kind of put their TVs together to create one show. I think it was on ESPN. Is that right? Uh, well, I mean, you know, Vern, we, there was still the separate AWA show and Crockett still had his show, but they came together. They got a cable deal uh, on ESPN <laughs> And one of the reasons they were able to get that kind of the, the silent partner uh, in pro wrestling USA was Eddie Einhorn, who was minority owner of the Chicago White Sox. Interesting. And, and did they use any of the White Sox resources? Uh, well, we had, uh, uh, we had the one show, uh, God, I forget what it was called at, at Comiskey Park, uh, and Eddie was in uh, Hammond for the the first taping. Uh, you know that's that's where I met him. And I but see I, two, I, I, two shows in Hammond. So the first show was uh, October of '84. Tony Atlas and the Crusher against the Road Warriors, and um, that was a big reason the road the uh, AWA had success in '84 was the Road Warriors coming in, and then. Uh, Right after Thanksgiving in November, you had a battle royal at the Hammond Civic Center. Um, so tell me about that. Was, was, uh, do you remember either of those shows? I'm <laughs> going way back in your memory banks. But more, more, more important than anything else, tell me about the Road Warriors coming in and being part of this. Were the Road Warriors uh, specific to Vern, or were they wrestling in the NWA as well? How did, how did that deal work out? Paul Ellering, you know, on TV, who was the manager of the Road Warriors, was also the business manager of the Road Warriors. Uh, and the only way they would agree to wrestle for any promotion was they could wrestle for any other promotion at the same time they wanted. So, I mean, you know, they, they lived in Minneapolis, uh, so the Road Warriors were in the AWA a lot. But they were, you know, still going to Japan. It was their deal. They were still going to the NWA. You know, it, it was their deal. But the the Road Warriors at the time in the AWA was really the only name, you know, Road Warriors, you know, Mike and, and uh, Joe t together that had national exposure in the country. 
much like even when he was in the AWA because of the Rocky movie, almost every wrestling fan knew who Hulk Hogan was. Uh, And the same was true for the Road Warriors. You know, every wrestling fan by then knew who the Road Warriors were, the Legion of Doom. So the Road Warriors being there and Vern being able to lure Sergeant Slaughter to the AWA and to Pro Wrestling USA uh, was, you know, a, a big part of that. And, of course, uh, Crockett and, and some NWA guys. Uh, the, the first house show we did for Pro Wrestling USA was at the Meadowlands. Uh, and, in, I mean, the crowd, it was a huge show, and the crowd was great, and, and they loved it. But uh, part of the problem was the rent factor that uh, Pro Wrestling USA had to agree to was so high that they just couldn't come out. And certainly the Meadowlands was able to do that because they knew if they had Pro Wrestling USA, WWF was not going to be running there anymore. That, you know, they went. Go ahead. I'm sorry. They went primarily to Madison Square Garden and Nassau Coliseum for yeah, and a couple of years. That that was, I guess, a big Vince's. Vince was always famous for if if the competition was was going to run in your building, then then you were out, right? He would shut you out. I mean, he's famously shut pay per view companies out of WWF events if they would broadcast Crockett. I mean, there was uh, ruthless things going on back then, right? Well, one, and now we're, you know, coming to the end of the show, but one of the things Vince was so smart in doing for the big arenas around the country and the major markets, he wanted in his contract, which the buildings agreed to, was they would not run another wrestling show within three weeks of his date. Well, and then what Vince was doing in the big markets, he was coming back once a month. So, in effect, he was shutting out anybody, any other wrestling from going to the big buildings. Because if he had a a date, say, on, you know, March 15th to do wrestling, they couldn't run a wrestling show within three weeks of it, one way or the other. And then if he was going to come back, say, you know, April 20th, well, you can't run a wrestling show again because it was, you know, you can't do a show within three weeks of that. So he was contractually, in effect, shutting out all the other wrestling organizations. But, you know, again, I mean, it uh, may not have been the, the right thing in the eyes of uh, the other promotions, but Vince was smart. It, it was legal, and, and the other buildings realized that by doing that, and, you know, they could see what Vince was doing, they basically ensured themselves of getting the WWF back within another four or five weeks. Yeah. Yeah, a very, very uh, shrewd and interesting business model. And we'll dive in. So next week we'll dive more into the Pro Wrestling USA, the booking, and and kind of how that that kind of evolved from 84 into, uh, I guess, say 86 is when it kind of fell apart and the deal with ESPN. We'll talk more about the NWA and what was happening there because there's some, some really big names in the NWA territories as the year gets started, especially, I mean, look at the names in Mid-South, Jim Neidhart, Junkyard Dog, Jacksaw Jim Duggan, Brian Adidas was there, Buddy Landell, the Midnight Express, uh, the Rock and Roll Express, lots of talent in Mid-South wrestling as you, uh, you go into 84 Kamala, Dick Murdoch. So the the talent is just amazing. Um, And we'll talk about more of that next week. But we had some fun this week talking about getting into the core of 84, mainly, um, you know, from the AWA perspective. And um, I I think we had a great time too talking about AEW and some of the parallels. And we'll try to work that in as the the weeks go on here. So, Ken, we'll come back next week and we'll, we'll finish out 84, uh, the, one of the formative year 
of uh, the rest of our lives in professional wrestling. Make sure, and one more time, go on to VOCNation.com. On the left-hand side, click the, the Pro Wrestling Tees link. Get your Killer Ken Made It Real t-shirt, 20% off. And Ken, they have to use the promo code to get that 20%. It's in all caps, and it is... Fall, F-A-L-L, like like the current season. Uh, it's the, we're in the fall of the year, so put in that promo code. And I mean, you know, I appreciate you know for my shirt, but there's you know uh, one of the other you know great shirts, just the Vox Nation shirt itself. Uh, Brady Hicks, Shelly Martinez. There's there's a lot of great shirts, and all the shirts on ProWrestlingTees.com. Uh, Next few days, just promo code F-A-L-L, all caps, and you get 20% off. Support the network, support the show, and we're out of time for today. Make sure you go on to iTunes and give us five stars. Put your feedback. Go uh, and send us some comments, too. Go on Twitter, at BruceVOC, or send me an email, as some of you have, to Bruce at VOCNation.com, and uh, that'll go and, and get to Ken as well, and we'll get your feedback on the air as much as we can. So that's it for this week for Killer Ken Resnick, the voice of choice Bruce Work. We'll be back next week wrestling with history worldwide in the VOC Nation radio network. Savage has regained the championship. This right here is the future of wrestling.